Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as an NQT. And we will also reveal the one thing we wish we knew as an NQT that made a real difference to our teaching. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Kerry Tockley to the podcast. Kerry has been surrounded by teachers since she was a little girl. Her great nan was a secondary physics teacher. How good is that? A nan, an infant school teacher, and her mum, an HLTA. So it is perhaps no surprise that Kerry is also now teaching. But like all great teachers, Kerry is multi-talented. She has a degree in musical theatre and performed at the opening ceremony of the London 2012 Olympic Games. In 2017, she became the freestyle dance national champion. Yes, the national champion. So it's a real shame this is not being videoed as I'm sure everyone would have enjoyed seeing the national champion perform. Having now retired from competitive dancing, Kerry now enjoys learning aerial acrobatics and martial arts, which must be the perfect combination for energizing a flagging class of children. Welcome, Kerry. Thanks very much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. Good stuff. Now, I guess the place I've got to start is by asking, you were surrounded by teachers, but you decided to go to university and do a musical theatre degree. Did your family have anything to say about that? Um, They were really supportive. There was never any pressure for me to go into teaching. And although primary teaching wasn't in my initial plans, I had always planned to go into the teaching of the performing arts. So I have always had that desire to pass on to knowledge to others. I'm lucky that pre-COVID, I was able to teach dance and drama as after-school clubs in schools as well. So it meant I could combine the best of both worlds that way. I also base a lot of my teaching around the performing arts. Most instructions in this room are sung. Um, I'm a very kinesthetic learner, so we do a lot of actions to movements to help us remember things. Um, I now have a YouTube channel where we have times table songs to help us memorise um, in, in preparation for the multiplication times table check. The dreaded times table check, it's coming up, but we have lots of fun in here and it's not a scary, scary thing in my class. I, I bet it isn't. Got a YouTube channel. Well, you'll, you'll have to let us know what that is so that uh, we can advertise that to the listeners because um, I'm sure lots of people would find that very useful. Of course, lots of um, resources on there for um, lower key stage two in particular. Yeah, brilliant. So what tempted you to teach after achieving so much in the performing arts? So like you've already mentioned, I've always been surrounded by teachers. As soon as I finished school, I started working at an after school club teaching the performing arts to children with disabilities. It was there that I realised that I could make a real difference to those around me. And this sparked my love of wanting to help more children to learn. I just loved the sparkle in their eyes when they had discovered that they had learned something new or mastered the task. I became a one-to-one LSA in 2014 and I was there for three years before I did teacher training and I just loved working in education, seeing the children learn and I wanted to progress my career further at that point. Yeah, tell us about the teaching the children with disabilities performing arts. What sort of thing did you do? Um, So this was at an after school club at a um, special needs school um, and it was linked to Stagecoach Theatre School in a separate part of that. Um, we taught 
dance, drama and music to children. We had such a range of disabilities. Um, we had children who had physical disabilities, we had children with Down syndrome, um, children with Asperger's autism, uh, such a range. And it was just being able to see that that sparkle in their eyes when they um, they learnt something new because um, academics might not have been their strong point for a lot of them, but they needed that chance to excel, to have fun, to make friends in a relaxed environment. And I just loved um, being part of the team teaching there. And that really made me want to go into um, education. Yes. And, and of course, I'm sure you see it now. Children who gain success in one aspect of the curriculum that supports their success in other parts of the curriculum doesn't it completely um, we have we have a poster up in my room that says never measure your progress using someone else's ruler and I completely stand by that because we all have things that we are better at one of us might excel at maths one might excel at spelling one might excel at science and we all have different strengths so it's so important to realize that we are all unique and not to compare ourselves to others in that way. Yeah, just I read I read something the other day and it said compare yourself with yourself. Do not be competitive with other people, but be competitive with yourself to be the best you can be and 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 to keep on improving. And I think that's so true for children and of course it's so true for us as teachers. Definitely. What focus did you decide was most important for you when you went into the classroom? I wanted first and foremost to be a role model for the class. My first day with my own class was incredibly overwhelming. Suddenly you've got 31 little faces staring at you and you know that their education is solely placed in your hands. But we took some time to get to know each other and that was the start of a great rapport that I had with that class. I got to know the children really well over a short time. I knew all their pets, their birthdays, favourite hobbies, um, every little fact you could know about these children and ultimately this led to happy children who felt listened to and respected because you do spend a lot of your time with your class and um, they do become like a little family to you and so it's important that you know them well and you know these things about them because you can um, create lessons that really relate to them so I was able to fit in their interests around my teaching to make lessons as engaging as possible for them this is something that I really pride myself on doing with future classes because your rapport with children is just so important. And if they have an interest in, for example, the game Minecraft, you can fit Minecraft into the curriculum. You can talk about things. We were talking about rocks and soils and properties of them. And we could then relate that to um, the game. And they're going, oh, I know that because that happens in, in Minecraft. And it's just a new way of getting things across the children and that they really appreciate it because you're you're going to their level and talking about things that interest them rather than just reading off a screen or reading out of a book yeah that's so true every great teacher I've ever met or I've ever seen takes a real interest in their children is is passionately keen to find out like you said their interests their hobbies their pets because once you've got that rapport, you can do anything with the children, can't you? You can challenge them way beyond what they might have thought that they could achieve on their own. And the rapport allows you to do that, that respect and that love. I think love is the right word, that love for your children. I remember I used to say that in assembly to the children. 
And I'd say, because we love you, don't we? And the year six boys, of course, would go, Ugh. and I'd say, well, I don't mean love. I don't want to take you out. I don't want to be your boyfriend. I'm talking about the love we have as a big family together here. It's a big and, mutual respect, and it, it means so much. Oh, it does. It's, it's so important. So did you, given that then, did you find teaching easy? At what did, point did you think, I can do this? I think it was when um, the parents of my people started commenting on how happy their children were that I was able to really think I can do this. It meant a lot for parents to go out of their way to send me a message to say thank you, because it's so easy for the children to go, you're my favourite teacher, which is lovely, <laughs> but they say it to every single ch teacher and they get and as soon as they meet their new teacher it's oh they're my favorite teacher so of course and that's when just the parents, how it should be isn't it <laughs> yeah you've got to always prioritize your uh, current teacher of course but when the parents say it to you and they've actually gone out of their way to send you a nice message or say thank you or you know write you a card at the end of the year that that really means a lot and I I think that um the teaching itself as in standing in front of the children I found much easier than all the work that goes on behind the scenes, it's the paperwork, the planning, the marking, all the extra bits that come with the job are what made it more challenging. The actual teaching I love and you can just let ideas flow because the children are so responsive. They they help you to teach because they inquire, they ask questions and that always draws you onto something new. So they're constantly learning. I think what you say there and, and the importance of having a good relationship with the parents relationships are right at the very heart aren't they of being a great teacher because because once you get a bit of conflict or a bit of irritation or a bit of friction then it just makes the job so much harder and as you've just said there are so many bits beyond teaching that you have to do that sometimes you can get distracted and think that those other bits are more important and they're so not what happens in the classroom is 99.9% .9 of children having a great education. And uh, and I think, well, governments, Ofsted, various other people have, have distracted us from that. And, uh, and all the best teachers I see tell me what happens in the classroom, that's the bit that makes the difference. Definitely, the that's the bit it, that the children go home and say to their parents, we did this today, and yeah. that, that's what means the world. So, yeah, that's so true. So... Did you find your training prepared you well? Did you think you were ready to handle whatever the job threw at you? Um, I had. I was lucky to have absolutely brilliant um, training, partially from yourself, Jeremy. So hey, you're I so have sweet. You to, to thank for that one. I had some brilliant lessons that I have used of yours, especially Starburst Rock Formations. Is that up there? That's one of my <laughs> personal favourite um, lessons to teach. Um, so I would say, in terms of like subject knowledge, I felt pretty prepared. Um, however, um, in my first year, I had both the blessing and curse of having toilets in my classroom. Now, at first, I thought, this is great. I've got toilets in here. Um, so less time out of the classroom means more learning time, right? You'd, you'd think that'd be nice. Of That's course. Wrong. It was horrendous. I had one child who would continually um, defecate on the floor oh, in no. there secretly. Bear in mind, this is year three. This isn't reception or anything. Year three. Um, we never did know 100% who it was. Um, only for the poor child, next child to walk in and find it each time. It went on for ages. The head had to get involved. And luckily, this is not a normal teaching occurrence, but it's certainly one that I wasn't prepared for from teaching. Not as an NQT, I shouldn't think. No. 
And was it, so after you sorted that, was it all plain sailing after that? Not always. I had many happy moments, but a big challenge for me was taking the plunge and leaving my first school. After a while there, my work-life balance was absolutely shot to pieces. I was working until the early hours every day and then being tired for the next day. So I wasn't able to be a good teacher because I was so, so tired at that point because of, as you said, all of the things that go on behind the scenes that aren't the priority against the actual mm. teaching itself. I had a two-year-old son at the time, and this combined with the incredibly high and often unrealistic expectations of the school with a lack of well-being support, it led to me being very unhappy as a teacher. I absolutely loved my class. I loved the school that I worked at, but it wasn't healthy to continue there. No. And I'm now and much happier and loving being a teacher again. Oh, that's so good to hear because, uh, yeah, you've got to prioritise your well-being. I've got a good friend of mine, Maria Brosnan, who runs a, a well-being for teachers program. And, uh, and, and we talk a lot about well-being for teachers. And you've got to prize that. I know as a head teacher, I used to say to my staff very regularly, family comes first. This is a job. I want you to be brilliant. I want the children to love every second in your classroom. But family comes first. And, uh, and and you've got to prioritise yourself within that. And, Definitely. Uh, I'm very lucky that I'm working with a head teacher and um, senior leadership team now that fully believe in those values and yeah. do genuinely care about the well-being of all staff, whether that's teachers, support staff, office staff, cleaners. You know, everyone is well cared for here. So much different situation and much happier now. Yeah, I, 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 I have some sympathy with head teachers who feel the strain desperately I know, I know as a head teacher, I used to not tell my staff all of the things that happened and all of the things that Ofsted had brought out or the government had brought out because I thought it's not going to benefit the children, certainly won't benefit the staff. I remember once going in to see my deputy head and she said, if you've come with another idea, bugger off. And I said, <laughs> rightio, then I will because I have and... Uh, not the right time, she said. Not the right time. I said, right, yo, then we'll uh, we'll shelve this one for a while. Let me know when it is the <laughs> right time. And uh, and it was really useful having someone like that who who was quite happy to say we got enough on at the moment. I was speaking to a head teacher today, and and she's been working with another school, and and she said to me, this school is sinking. New initiatives, loads of pressure. Everyone telling the teachers they've got to do more and more and more and more and more and she said they're sinking without trace and I said to him you've got to cut back on your expectations you've got to reduce the demands on the teachers so they're just doing what's great for the children because then that will be great for them and like you've just told us and then you teach better because you're not exhausted and you're not anxious and you're not irritable because you've had a good night's rest You've had a bit of life away from school and uh, and that just makes such a difference, doesn't it? it it's much better. For, it's not only for yourselves, but for your class as well. You can't you can't do the best of the job if you're coming into work tired, if you're coming in stress, if you're dreading your job. And the children learn so much better with a happy teacher, a well-rested teacher and one that isn't constantly put under unnecessary pressures. That's the thing, unnecessary. Cut, cut, cut away some of those pressures. Because pressure just, is fine if it's necessary. Yeah, no one minds you saying these children need to be safeguarded better. No one minds that. But someone saying 
well, I'm not sure you've used the right colour pen to mark this. You think, get a life. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So that was difficult for you, but there must have been uplifting things that happened that made you think there may be some tough parts, but actually this job is great. Uh, There's been many moments, but a a small one, but one that's made me smile recently. We um, had a really engaging practical history lesson um, surrounding um, how the Anglo-Saxons invaded England. And we did lots of drama to see how the people felt. And a child actually took the time at break time to come and find me and say thank you for the lesson. Oh, wow. They enjoyed it so much. And they didn't have to do that. And that meant so much coming from a nine year old. just because that obviously sunk into her to come up to me and say say thank you and I don't ever expect a child to say thank you after a lesson but that just that really you know went straight to the heart that one bless her some of my favorite lessons have been ones where the learning has been taken outside of the classroom making the most of natural resources and taking the children out of the boundaries of the classroom walls to explore and inquire I think it's amazing to to mix things up a little bit you can't always stay in the classroom all day um children bounce off the walls if they're caught inside but outside there are no walls so they cannot start bouncing off of them when there aren't any so I I love going outside getting chalk on the playground um hiding things up trees um lighting campfires going to ponds any opportunity to get outside I, I will take it yeah, it's, it's so powerful. I saw a fantastic lesson from a trainee teacher this week and, uh, and he took, bravely, took this, his class, his teaching practice class, out into the woodland area to teach children about uh, classification and identifying insects and other invertebrates. Oh, blimey, the children learnt so much. And at the end he said, he said that was a bit chaotic, wasn't it? I said, well, I said, it depends what you mean by chaotic. I saw 30 children learning fantastically well and being very excited by it. I said, to my mind, that sounds like a recipe for perfection, not not chaos. um, But it's 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 so easy to think that noise equals Mm. that work isn't going on when actually they're discussing, they're inquiring, they're excited. And they take it in and they're the kind of lessons that a week later you say, what did you learn? They'll be able to tell you. Yeah, if definitely. you sit there and just tell them the information, they, they won't hold it in. Not a chance. I've said no. to a few people, <laughs> I've said to a few people recently, listening age is chronological age plus two minutes. So I said, if you're teaching five-year-olds, you've got seven minutes before you need to be moving on. And uh, And you're so right when you say that, you remember the things that are memorable, don't you? And, and as long as you're weaving the the learning into that, then then there's going to be great learning going on. So thinking then, thinking back to your NQT year, which maybe wasn't the happiest time all the time, but the, what was the most important thing you learned? What's the thing that you say, oh, if only I'd known that? Something I learned in a fairly recent training session, actually, was to think about about essentialism in the workplace and to not be afraid to ask why when given a task to understand the benefit of it being done if the person asking you to do the task can't explain why or how it would help does it really need to be done yeah really helped me to prioritize my to-do list and complete tasks more effectively whilst not comprising my uh, compromising my work-life balance it's important not to worry about knowing things as an NQT as well 
I often worried that if I asked too many questions, I would be seen as not capable enough. But it's okay to be on a learning journey, even as an adult, as a teacher, even experienced teachers. Um, And asking questions is one way we all learn. So it's so important to not have that fear of coming across like you don't know something. It's important to feel open enough with your colleagues that you can ask and progress yourself that way. Yeah, I love I love your term essentialism. If only I'd known that. I used to I used to say that to myself all the time. Is there any point to this? In fact, I used to say that as a student when I was back at school and I used to say <laughs> to the teachers, what's the point of this? And guess what? Very often they couldn't say other than saying it's on the syllabus. And mm-hmm. I used to say, but there must be a point, sir. And they'd say, shut up, crook. Get on with your work. <laughs> Definitely and, helps uh, me to prioritise what, yeah. what needs to be done now, what can be done in a few days and what can be held off or doesn't need doing. Yeah, just doesn't need doing at all. Yeah. I, re- I remember one of the things someone taught me before my first Ofsted inspection as a head teacher, they said, take every bit of paper on your desk, put it into a plastic box, put it in the boot of your car, shut the boot and see how much of that paper you need four weeks later after the Ofsted inspection. And of course, guess what? I used to have a whole <laughs> box full of paper yeah, and didn't need any of it. And, uh, and, and, essentialism sounds to me like a great thought to hold in your head at all times oh Kerry thank you so much for talking to me you've shared some incredibly valuable thoughts which I know our listeners will want to think about it got me thinking something Mother Teresa said that resonates with that nine-year-old who thanked you for engage for your engaging history lesson and with the things you said about getting to know your class really well Mother Teresa said do small things with great love. And that's just what that child did for you. And it's what you did for your class. And it's what great teachers do many times every single day, because it creates a classroom environment where every child can flourish, whatever their difficulties and whatever their needs. So hold on to that. Do small things with great love. So all your teachers out there, what now? What is the one small thing that you will do that will make a difference to your teaching? I'd say essentialism, that's what I'd say, and a difference to the success of your pupils. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please leave a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to leave feedback, that'd be great too. And we'll keep you updated on what's to come and more on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to more educational chat next time. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT.